Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, which shares stories of spiritual awakening, spiritual communication, healing energies, miracles, and a way to put together the ways of physical and spiritual life for a clearer understanding of the oneness of our being. And I am delighted to welcome Steve Taylor, author of Spiritual Science, which offers a new vision of the world, one that is compatible with both modern science and ancient spiritual teachings and is supported by the insights of philosophers, physicists, mystics, as well as spiritual traditions and indigenous cultures. Hello, Steve, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Cheryl. It's great to be with you. Yes, and I am delighted to discuss the importance of merging science and spirituality for a true view of who we are, where we come from, which is necessary for understanding the universal laws of energy that contain the truth of the wisdom of creation and indeed life. Steve, as listeners of the show are very well aware, my guests and I share intimate stories and insights that guide us to remember the history of creation and humanity and Mm. eternal life forces. So Mm. we may access the laws of nature, man, and spirit to create our best version of life here and now and also refine the nature of our soul through self-investigation and self-mastery of our emotions. Right? Mm, sounds Sounds wonderful. Yeah, influencing our actions and choices, hopefully. In today's episode of Healing from Within, I applaud Steve Taylor's approach to merging science and spirituality as life cannot be understood or lived in accordance with true personal or collective growth without putting the pieces of both disciplines together. Steve, who is a scientist himself, a psychologist, based at Leeds Beckett University in the UK, presents a great deal of evidence that psychic phenomena does not contravene science and will share how consciousness is not produced by the brain and does not come to an end when our bodies die, helping us to be open to the possibility of some form of life after death. Steve, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and to remember a person, place, event, or dream that perhaps showed them or those around them the lifestyle they would embrace as adults. Because I personally believe the child is born with a plan and destiny to explore this life for the highest refinement of their soul needs. So, do you have a story? Well, um, I guess the person that, who, who inspired me was my grandfather. And um, my background was pretty sort of um, kind of working class type background. My father was just interested in soccer and um, in sort of drinking beer. And, uh, <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> having a good time, yeah. So there's no sort of culture in, in our house. There's no books, no music. It was quite a kind of a barren, culturally barren uh, upbringing. But my grandfather was a little bit different. He, was, um, he used to like walking in the countryside. And he had a few books in his house. He had like a, an anthology of poetry and a few other books. And he was always a bit different. He was quite gentle. He was quite a sort of, you know, um, there's a guy who was sort of, 
had a, a feminine side to him. You know, he was quite sensitive and gentle. And that was different to the other people around me, because the other people at school or in my immediate family and my friends, my father's friends and so on. So my grandfather, he was my kind of inspiration. He died, unfortunately, when I was quite... He died when I was 17. But um, when he died, I thought, yeah, I thought that's how I want to be. I don't want to be a, a beer-drinking soccer fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said the same thing wrong with soccer. Yes. But, um, you know, I want to be... I want to go walk in the countryside. I want to read books. You know, I want, I want, it to, I want to be gentle and sensitive. So, uh, so he kind of set an example for me. I had a grandfather like that, too. I might even get, if we have time, to tell a little story about him in a little while. But let's go on to, I always have loads of synchronicity with my guest. And my son's dear friend since childhood is Steve Taylor. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you have received endorsements from Dr. Penny Sartori, author of The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences, and Dr. Julia Mossbridge, author of The Premonition Code, who was just recently on my show. Uh, the show oh, hasn't wow. even been uploaded yet. And um, listeners can go to my website to hear those shows, very interesting insights into the world of eternal energy and life. So perhaps tell us a coincidence or miracle that has happened to you as a result of your awareness of higher consciousness and the power we have to manifest what we need in life. Wow. Well, well when I was a, a, you know, when I was sort of a teenager in my early 20s, I was quite depressed. You know, uh, I, I, was, um, I was kind of very alienated. I spent a lot of time on my own. Uh, I was extremely unhappy. Even to the point where you know, I sometimes used to, you know, consider committing suicide. Um, but there was one particular evening when I was, you know, I felt that everything had really come to a head, and I thought that, you know, nothing was ever going to get better. I'd really kind of hit rock bottom. It was because of, you know, I'd, I'd sort of fallen in love with a girl and convinced myself I was going to get together with this girl, but it kind of didn't work out. And I thought, oh, this is the final straw. I've had enough now. And I felt like, you know, that's it. I thought I was going to go to bed and didn't want to ever wake up again. But that night, um, a friend of mine walked by and he knocked on my door about maybe one o'clock in the morning. He saw my light was on and knocked, knocked on the door at one o'clock in the morning. And he came in. I invited him in. He said, I've, I've got something for you. I've got this uh, cassette for you. And I thought, oh, this is good. What is it? And he said, it's, uh, it's a guy called Van Morrison. You heard of Van Morrison, the singer? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, I'd, I'd not, not really heard any Van Morrison, but he said, I'll, just, I'll, I'll give you this tape, and I'm going to get going. So he went away, and he just left me this tape. And it was a tape of a, a Van Morrison concert from about 1986, 87. And I put it on the, my tape player straight away, and immediately just something hit me about it. It was, again, it was very spiritual music. It was very kind of um, pervaded with a sense of serenity, and this sense of harmony. And something about it really hit me very powerfully. And it immediately sort of gave me a sense of something more that was beyond my depression. It gave me a sense that there was something more positive out there, you know, that there was this kind of world of harmony, this kind of spiritual dimension, which I'd been aware of, but I'd sort of fallen away from. So it, it was almost like, a, you know, as if it was meant to be. It was a strange kind of synchronicity. This, this cassette really did help me to get over that depressive phase and then I moved into a, a much more positive phase I, I started listening to a lot of Van Morrison music I started to read books on spirituality 
So this uh, this simple act of my friend giving me this tape opened up this whole new world of spirituality to me. Well, that wasn't random. It was part of your destiny and life yeah. plan. And your loneliness so. and, and sensitivity. Uh, many of the authors, most of the authors, I would say all of the authors who have been on this show, over 500 people, have experiences like this because what is loneliness? It's a sense of... Uh, knowing you're not separate from life and other people mm. and the unity and somehow we're dealing with the stories that we've been taught and uh, our experiences from childhood some of them traumatic and, mm. and it, it makes us long for this connection to love and unity and oneness and the more sensitive people's people have difficulty dealing with the physical world in its limitation mm. right it's, yeah. Yes, I it's think our so. divinity yearning for our divinity. So, mm. you know, Steve, you describe a common philosophy uh, by most academic thinkers uh, where they have trouble uh, thinking and talking like you and I are talking about this uh, <laughs> eternal force. And uh, even before I had my many mystical experiences and became an energy healer and medium, I was part of that conglomerate of thinkers, you know, mm, who, who couldn't yeah. see the whole universal. But, Steve, you wrote, as an academic, a researcher, and senior lecturer at a university in the U.K., people are often surprised by my unorthodox views on the nature of life and of the world. For example, when I mentioned to colleagues that I'm open-minded about the possibility of some form of life after death or that I believe in the possibility of paranormal phenomena such as telepathy or precognition, they look at me as if I've told them I'm going to give up academia and become a professional footballer or soccer player <laughs> or be a drinker. It's taken for granted that if you're an academic or an intellectual, you don't entertain such unusual views. The majority of my colleagues and peers and most academics and intellectuals in general seem to have an orthodox materialist view of the world. They believe that human consciousness is produced by the brain and that when the brain ceases to function, consciousness will end. They believe that phenomena such as telepathy and precognition belong to a pre-rational superstitious worldview which has long been superseded by modern science. They believe that the evolution of life and most human behavior can be completely explained in terms of principles such as natural selection and competition for resources. To doubt these beliefs is to be seen as weak-minded or intellectually gullible. People are even more confused when I tell them I'm not religious. How can you believe in life after death without being religious? You know, Steve, that's the end of your passage, but I was brought up and trained in that methodical world of materialism and proof needed by science, so I often dismiss my strong intuitive senses and thought that people who spoke of psychic phenomena were sort of, uh, you know, artsy and spacey. But about yeah. 26 years ago, now here's the story of my grandfather, who I loved very much like you loved your grandfather, and he was different from the other people in my family. So it was about 26 years ago when I had a dream, and there was my grandfather. I was sick with the flu. I was like <laughs> in between waking and sleeping and very uncomfortable. 
and there he was in a shadow. I couldn't really see him, and I could barely really hear him, but I knew he was telling me to write something for my father, and the very next day I got a call from my mom that my father had passed, so right. I wrote his eulogy. So, yeah. and then I couldn't forget the feeling of the connection or energy. It didn't seem like a dream. And I began mm. a search to understand spiritual communication and our connection to energy, science, and spirituality. Wow. And, it, and in my book, The Living Spirit, I write, Over the past several years, I have become free enough of the material world and close enough to the spiritual world to realize these truths. I'm willing to accept the consequences of my actions regardless if how, of how people feel or think. I say no if it doesn't feel good or right for my development. Even after a lot of study and hard work, this is sometimes very hard to do. Nonetheless, I strongly believe that is how the soul matures. I believe just as strongly that it is the mission of spiritually conscious individuals to empower themselves to share their creative soul expression as they walk their own soul path. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. I agree. Yeah, so, mm. uh, Steve, Steve, try to tell us something about this orthodox materialistic view. and um, Well, it kind of, um, I remember as a child, um, well, maybe when I was 16 years old, um, I think it was about that time, I went to a talk about meditation at a local library. A friend invited me to this talk about meditation. And I remember, I've got a very vivid memory of the, the speaker um, he was saying things like, uh, meditation allows you to experience the bliss of consciousness. Uh, <laughs> or things like, uh, you know, meditation purifies your being and purifies your consciousness so that you can gain access to deeper levels of wisdom. Did it mean uh, anything to you? No. <laughs> of I remember thinking, <laughs> I thought, what a load of nonsense. Because <laughs> 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 um, um, I've been brought up, I've been educated with materialism. I've been educated to think that we are just kind of machines, biological machines. Mm -hmm. We consist of cells and molecules. We are brains and bodies. And what else is there? I remember thinking, what is consciousness? You know, I'm just a brain. I'm a brain that can think. Where is my consciousness? But, you know, later on, you know, by the, by the time I was 20, I did start to meditate. And then I realized that it was true, that what the man said was actually true, that there was uh, a kind of an innate quality of bliss inside my consciousness, and that there were deeper levels of being which I could gain access to. But they, I mean, I think this materialist view does pervade the education systems throughout most of Western Europe and also in the U.S. And certainly in the, in the universities, it's very present, very prevalent in the universities. And like I say, you know, it's very difficult to. Um, in academic circles, it's very difficult to find people who, you know, take psi-phenomena seriously or who believe in life after death, people who study anomalous phenomena, people who are interested in mediumship and so on, or energy healing and so on. It's kind of like, a, you know, people take pride in believing that this stuff is nonsense. You know, it's kind of like an, an article of faith that, that you know, this, all of this stuff is just superstitious nonsense. But um, I think it is beginning to change slowly. You know, that's one of the things I write in the book that, over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a slow shift. Yeah. And I think, I think more and more people are opening up, even in academia, you know, yes. to, uh, to more spiritual perspectives. Yeah, I've interviewed medical doctors, neurosurgeons, scientists, uh, religious people, people from all walks of life. 
intellectual yeah. people. I consider myself an intellectual, well-educated oh, yeah. person. And I did not understand this either. I always had a sense of something more, but I wasn't religious, and I couldn't exactly understand it as I do now as an energy healer. Mm. But the you say the whole cosmos is imbued with spirit force from the tiniest particles of matter to the vast, seemingly empty tracks of darkness between planets and solar systems. Spirituality mm. isn't often thought of in an explanatory context. Most people believe that it is the role of science to explain how the world works. But in your book, we see how this simple notion that there is a fundamental spirit of consciousness that is ever-present and in everything has mm. great explanatory power. Now, the thing is yeah. this. We talk about the brain and the mind. Now, the mind is of this universal energy, and it is the life force and creative force. The brain is only the physical part of this physical reality that uh, moves our body and our cells and our uh, functions, digestive mm. function and all that. So there is a difference between mind and brain and yeah. i don't and i don't know why really uh, you know we know science is a method of observing and mm. investigating natural ph phenomena but there's something beyond natural or nature and the physical world and that's what we're yeah. talking about here right yeah yeah and the thing is that um you know in theory science is a method of investigating the world yes uh, it's kind of a process of, of examining it, phenomena it's a but good in reality thing. Yeah, it's a yeah, good it is, thing. It is a good thing, yeah. I mean, I've met um, quite a few spiritual people who are quite opposed to science. They even, they, I, I told some people about my, my new book, and they said, oh, I'm not interested in science. I don't like science. But, you know, science is it's very important. to, to it, it is very important to examine phenomena, to test them. But the thing is that most scientists are actually very similar to religious people, that they have a belief system. Most scientists have uh, a materialist belief system. They believe that, matter is the only reality, that human beings are biological machines, that psychic phenomena do not exist, that any kind of spiritual experiences or near-death experiences are produced by brain activity. So it's a belief system. It's a belief system which is made up of tenets and assumptions, and it's very similar to religion. Mm. But that's become, it's become attached to science, this belief system. And, and as I say, this belief system pervades our culture. It pervades the, the intelligentsia and the, med the serious media, in Western culture, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and it's a shame. But but as as I say, and as as you you've agreed that I think there is a, a movement beyond this belief system. I think more and more scientists are opening up to more you know esoteric or spiritual perspectives. Absolutely, yeah, because it's like I say to people, we have our ego, which is our physical reality, and we have our heart or soul essence, and they need to work together. Because mm, then you have mm. the whole package and you can live this physical life, also advancing your spiritual or soul energy life. And it's, it, it's better. It's just you can be more joyful. You can be less fearful. So it is necessary. And you spoke about in the book um, the first Greek philosopher who was uh, Thales, 
who believe mm. that all things are full of gods and that the soul is intermingled in the whole universe. So that's mm. a theory. The universe is in us, and we are within the universe. We are in the oneness of this expansion of life force, of energy, mm. right? Yeah. And it is scientific <laughs> as well as spiritual. So it's not separate. It is. Nothing is separate. No. I love that. Yeah, yeah I mean, certainly if you look into quantum physics, uh, which is the science of the smallest particles or the smallest entities in the universe, then that, that's, you know, that becomes very spiritual. The, the whole idea of separate entities fall, falls away. There's this sense that everything is interconnected. Everything is entangled. Yes. And, and, what, you know, and what you perceive affects um, what happens. You, know, you can't separate the observer from what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So consciousness, consciousness is, inter, is intermingled with reality and you can't separate it you know you can't speak in terms of separate things at all in the quantum level you can only speak in terms of a, a fundamental oneness and a fundamental interconnectedness well, yeah as an empath and i'm sure you are also uh, we mm. know when we go into a room or we meet people we get a reaction physically from the energy yeah. if they're angry or unhappy or ill i'm going to be uncomfortable either in my gut or my chest or my head and I'm, mm, gonna, I'm mm. going to know that I have to be uh, exceptionally um, <laughs> compassionate and kind, mm. no matter how they may be acting, because they're, they're experiencing a different realm of awareness. And so, yeah. so this, is, this is proof to me and to many others who feel like we do, uh, that mm. we are interconnected. Otherwise, how could I pick up information from another sphere of energy when I have yeah. a client and I do a reading and I give them information? I know nothing about them. Mm. They're first mm. coming to me, and I give them information that's accurate. Right. So it's wow. coming from this interconnectedness and life after this life in, mm. in energy life. So it, it is very, very exciting when you can feel it and you want to yeah. share it with others, but until they have their own experience, it's kind of hard to get it, you know, you know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's the same with psychic phenomena like telepathy or precognition. I mean, I think, I think it's, uh, it's beyond doubt that they exist, but well, unless you actually have it... I experience it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't experience it all the time, but I experience it from time to time, you know, so fairly regularly. But unless you've had one of those experiences yourself, then there's always, you know, there's always um, room you can for always doubt. doubt them. Right. You can always explain them away. Right. You know, spiritual experiences are very similar. You can always explain spiritual experiences as the result of unusual brain chemistry. You can explain them as a kind of hallucination. Yeah. But well, once you actually have one, once you or, feel that amazing sense of oneness with the whole universe, then you know that, it, you know, it's much more than brain chemistry. It's much more than a hallucination. It's actually a glimpse into a, a higher reality. Yes, absolutely. So tell us something. This was in your book, and it's very interesting, of how terminally ill people can sometimes postpone the time of their passing. And this has to do with energy, because I do believe we have a time to come and a time to go. We have, I believe, a life plan. But we also hmm. have choices to make to how we live our life plan. And that can shift some of the reality while we're here in this physical life. But still in all, uh, tell us something of how terminally ill people can sometimes postpone the time of their passing. 
Yeah, I mean, this is quite a common phenomenon. I think anecdotally, it's quite common. I think most people, certainly most uh, people who work in hospices or in hospitals, you know, talk about this phenomenon. But there's also research, uh, you know, proving it as well. And it's a, usually if there's a certain event which people have been looking forward to, it could be a wedding, or it could be the visit of a friend or a relative. Um, or it could be just, you know, it could be Christmas or Thanksgiving or, 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 you know, some kind of festival. So people who are terminally ill, they have the ability to postpone their death until these events have passed. So there are lots of examples, for example, of, um, you know, a, a father whose daughter lives uh, maybe in a different continent, several, several hours flight away. And the father knows that at some point the daughter is coming to visit her, him. Mm-hmm. So he's, a, he's able to, to postpone his death until she arrives and he will die shortly after, you know, she has seen him. So it's strange, you know, you know, people do have this a certain amount of freedom to choose when they die. Well, that's because their soul is connected to this universal intelligent energy force. And mm, sometimes mm. it's necessary for them to complete something. It's like I always ask my clients to ask for help from upstairs. If they mm. they need to discuss something and clarify it in their own brain the physical brain or their own minds which is their energetic essence to discuss it with those above that could be guides teachers holy vibrational beings relatives mm. that are and they will have some help it will it will show it's sometimes it shows up in the way of reading something seeing something on television a friend walking by and answering their question but, yeah. it, but we do get help, and, but you must ask. It's very important yeah. to ask. But this is also interesting in your book. The brain is able to adapt to injury. It used to be thought that when the brain is damaged and certain pathways or neurons are disturbed, that you might lose certain function. But tell us about that. Hmm. Neuroplasticity has shown us something else. Yeah. Yeah, neuroplasticity is a it's a fairly new area of science, maybe over yes. the last 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because, you know, the, the standard view in science was that the brain is fixed and also that the mind is a kind of product of the brain. The mind is like a shadow of the brain. It's just produced by the neural networks of, the brain, of our brains. But actually, you know, whatever we do with our brains affects the brain itself. Sorry, whatever we do with our minds affects the brain. So if you train, if you decide to play the piano and have a lot of music lessons, if you decide to become a taxi driver and learn, learn the routes all over a city, the routes all over a city, then you bring about significant changes in your, in your brain. You know, there is a lot more connection in certain areas of the brain related to that activity. And also, if a person has a stroke, I mean, this is well known, that when a person has a stroke, it is possible to retrain the brain. So parts of the brain which are damaged, uh, the function, the ability which those parts of the brain used to deal with can be transferred to a different part of the brain. So the brain is extremely flexible. And I, I compare it to a musical instrument. I used to be a musician, like a guitarist. And uh, oh, sometimes, nice. some, sometimes my a guitar string would break during a song. And I'd think, oh, what do I do now? But I would usually just play the same notes on a different string. I'd just adapt myself to, 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 the, to the damage and play the same notes elsewhere. So the brain is like that. You know, if there's damage to the brain, the brain will adapt and what it shows is that the mind is actually primary to the brain. The mind is more fundamental than the brain. And the brain, you know, rather than the, than the brain producing the mind, 
in some ways you could say it the other way, the other way around that consciousness produces the brain yes absolutely <laughs> yeah i i love that you just said that because it's sort of what we've been talking about today all right yeah the power of both aspects of our being so i i would like to thank you steve taylor author of Spiritual Science, for the comprehensive research and history that you have explored in order to showcase how since the beginning of man and even before, the universal energy of life has filtered through our conscious mind to remind us of the complexity of human and divine existence. To read more and to unify your own thoughts of the miraculous search for knowing who we are and where we come from, read Spiritual Science. And this book can be purchased on Amazon.com or go to www.stephenwithavmtaylor.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, we have discussed how to how so many modern academics and intellectuals believe in psychic phenomena like telepathy, precognition, and clairvoyance holds the same status as belief in an afterlife or in fairies or alien abductions. You know, they can't process it uh, in a scientific way, but it really is scientific. Surely so many of our peers seem to feel we should have progressed beyond such a rational nonsense. Stephen shows us how that when science meets spirituality and an understanding of higher consciousness, universal energy, and the fact that we are both soul, spirit, and physical human life, we hope to convince you that this intellectual or scientific view of the psychic phenomena is misguided. It is not at all irrational to accept the existence of psychic phenomena. Indeed, we suggest that there is so much evidence for their existence and such a sound theoretical basis for them that it is actually irrational not to accept their existence. It is only from the perspective of materialism that psychic phenomena appear to be impossible. From the pan-spiritist perspective, there is nothing anomalous about them at all. By knowing we are consciousness and can step outside ourselves and observe it as if it's something other to us, in view of this, the best way to understand consciousness is in terms of experience rather than definition. In developing a spiritual practice, a sort of meditation, one becomes able to connect to the realms of higher consciousness, knowing we are all part of past, present, and future experience happening simultaneously. And once you reach this level of awareness and interaction with the universe, or divine source, we find ourselves able to tap into our many spiritual psychic, precognitive, and dream state abilities. Steve and Cheryl would have you know that by merging the many questions and thoughts you have about the connection between science and spirituality, you actually divulge the answers to age-old questions such as who are we and why are we having this physical life. The great potential within you to explore your human, physical, and soul essence with realities come with help from higher spiritual energy and will bring you unimaginable gifts and joys and a connection to eternal life.
I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and invite you to my website, CherylGlick.com, to listen to ways to regenerate and renew the truth of your inner soul potential to create lives of distinction and purpose. Listen to and read about leaders who share hope and practical ways to engage our highest self and connect to the love of the universe. Help yourself move past the challenges of these changing times with hope for creating a world of peace and well-being. Shows may also be heard on dreamvisions.com and webtalkradio.net. Thank you.